Hello and welcome to episode two of the Big Chill Podcast, The Magic City Situation. So let's start and say hello to the boys. Sam, how's it going? Yeah, good. Baking in London today, though. How's it going in uh, Phoenix? Oh, well, it's Tucson, not Phoenix. I would <laughs> never live in Phoenix. I'm glad the two of you know each other so well. I was going to say Arizona, but I wanted to be trying more specific, but it didn't work. How's Tucson? Oh, Tucson is a lovely 105 degrees today. I did a nice outdoor workout when it was only 95, so that was quite enjoyable. What's that in Celsius? Uh, you're going to put me on the spot? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. It, it must be like nearly 40, I guess. Or maybe it's over 40. It's, it's got to be over 40. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You win. You should win though. It's 40. Yeah, he lives in a, he lives right in a de- he lives in a desert. So yeah, yeah, you win. Okay. It, no surprise, it's warm in the summer. No humidity. It's a dry heat. <laughs> Fun facts about Arizona, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Eddie, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm okay. It's hot here too, but not not quite that hot. But it's all it's all warming up for the start of the NBA tonight. So. <laughs> What a transition. (laughs) No one has a better segue than me. What a segue from the weather to the NBA. Yeah, so I think that's probably where we'll start. Um, So we talked last week about some of the American sports coming back, mainly the MLB and how that's a terrible situation. Um, So now we can talk about two that seem to be more promising in the NBA and the NHL, and hopefully they don't mess up like the the MLB has done. So... Um, yeah, why don't you start us off on the, the NBA, give us a little rundown. Yeah, I mean, obviously it starts it starts tonight um, with two games. The, and I mean, the, the second game is the Clippers-Lakers. So that's a huge game in the sense that they're the two, currently the two favorites to, to win the title. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see in terms of like how they get back into the rhythm, rhythm of now things. This is, now, th- those aren't exhibition games. These are real games. These are real games. They've been playing exhibition games for like a little bit like over a week, a week or two, right? Yeah. yeah. But this is like a regular cuz they've had to do this weird wrap up to the regular season. So I think I think each team is playing 8 games, all the teams that were invited. So it's all the teams who are already in the playoffs and then a couple teams that were right on the fringe and they're playing a kind of 8 game mini season to get into the to like finish it off. And then they might have to play a play-in game if two teams finish finish level to see who gets the final playoff spot yeah and for those i guess who haven't followed it too well they're actually we call it that they're in the nba bubble because they're almost quite literally in a bubble in the worldwide sports complex down in orlando where they have literal limits that they can travel to um, and they can't go outside in any type of scenario so for instance one of the ones that we've talked about a little before off air um, is the guy who thought he could order delivery food and live tweeted himself saying like, Oh, look, we can order delivery food. And then the NBA saw the tweet and said, no, actually you can't and put him in like a 10 day quarantine. So, I mean, he, he got outdone this week though, because you had Lou Williams who went home to attend a funeral in Atlanta and then decided that he couldn't go back to Atlanta without getting his favorite chicken wings. So he went to (laughs) magic city, a strip club, specifically supposedly to get chicken wings because they're the best chicken wings in Atlanta and someone else took a photo with him 
and put it on Instagram or, or Twitter or something. So he got caught. So now he's has to go into quarantine for 14 days or whatever. And like, that's a blow for the Clippers because Lou Williams, like, I think he's three time sixth man of the year in the NBA. Like he's, he's not some fringe player. So like that's, that's the probably punishment. The, that's that, probably what that's the punishment. Two weeks what? of quarantine. Well, it's not punishment. And it also sounds like a cover-up, right? I mean, no one says I'm going to a strip club to get chicken wings unless they do the inverted commas as they say chicken wings. Boy, he obviously <laughs> goes there a lot because there's a flavor of chicken wings at this strip club named after him. So, so, did, he, <laughs> wait, so, did, so did he go to get the Lou Williams chicken wings or did he go to just get chicken wings in general? <laughs> I'm not sure what he ordered specifically. I'm not sure if that came out. That's but, so vain as well, right? <laughs> like, I only go to where they give me chicken wings with my name, and it just so <laughs> happens to be a strip club. <laughs> whether there's naked women there or not is not my main concern. It's just whether there's chicken wings with my name on it. <laughs> I mean, this seems unbelievable to me, but then I have been reading about, like, uh, Atlanta strip club cult- culture, and supposedly the food is really good. <laughs> And, and, and I don't think that's just people making excuses. Um, so this, this you also, be one of them, especially. <laughs> well, this is coming from me. I mean, my brother-in-law once said that he used to go to a, a happy hour after work at a strip club because the happy hour prices were really good and the finger food was amazing. How much of that sentence was in inverted commas? <laughs> None of it. It was all very genuine when he said it. I, to, the extent, to the extent that he didn't even seem to get what sounded suspicious about it. Like it was such a genuine comment that he was just like, why, would, why is that weird? The prices were great. It reminds me of the Ron Swanson in Parks and Rec. When he's like, strip clubs? No, I don't, I don't like strip clubs. I don't like a bunch of women running low-grade fevers taking their clothes off. But a free breakfast buffet? That I can do. And you see him just like flipping the plate, eating all the bacon. <laughs> it cracks me up. But yeah, no, I think I've also heard about this in Montreal as well, which actually I've been to Montreal, but we didn't go. Um, but I have heard that they have these amazing strip clubs and that they actually have really high-quality food because it's such like a fancy strip club that they want to like treat the clientele well. So they have really good food and drinks and things like that, which is just strange. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not my world, so I couldn't <laughs> even begin to comment on it, but it's, it's definitely going to be the dumbest way. Well, actually I say this, someone will beat it, but it's the, it's, it's, it's definitely the, the leader right now in the dumbest way to get yourself quarantined and miss several games for your team. I'm sure someone will outdo him, but it will be interesting to see how they pull it off. But yeah, both for the, just going back to it, I mean, the NBA looks like it Wait, will Wait, so avoid... real, real quick though, was he allowed to leave for the funeral? Yeah, you, so players are getting exemptions to leave for family reasons. So that was okay, <laughs> just the, the pit well, I think stop to the strip club was, was the downer. So they're like, yeah, no, because I, I think they have to follow pretty strict guidelines. So like basically just, but I, several players have got exemptions to go home for family reasons. Some people have been saying that it's a little bit suspicious sometimes because, but I mean, I guess they, it's otherwise it's pretty difficult to allow someone to go and you just be like, no, no, you're going to go live here for four months. And no matter what happens in your family and your life, you are stuck here. But almost some, I mean, almost some sort of like lost on an island kind of thing where you're not even allowed to know what's going on in the outside world until it's over. 
but is I mean, to me, like if you're going to go to a funeral, you're going to be surrounded by people anyway. Was the the strip club that adding that much more? I mean, if they have the best oh. chicken wings, they're probably a high end establishment that clears regularly, right? Here's all I'll say on that, Frank. <laughs> Under normal circumstances, where do you think you're more likely to catch something? A funeral or a strip club? Because under normal circumstances, I know where I think I'd be safer. It depends on what you're defining catch. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of interested to unpack that further because I don't know the answer. The virus oh, no, doesn't discriminate. Obvious. This should be the easiest debate we have for a while. But or no, whether you're going to be... get the virus in a granted, clearly high-end chicken wing strip club. No, 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 no. hold on. I don't think we know that it was high-end. The food is just good. It's Eddie, still in the, the food is good. It's got got to be high end. It's an Atlanta strip club that's named Chicken Wings after an NBA player. My guess is it's not high end. I don't want I mean, to disperse the name of Magic City and have like Magic City coming after us as the people who who like never been but it's just trashing the reputation of the of the gentleman's club or whatever probably calls itself, but I'm going to guess it's not high end. Maybe we have to get one of our listeners who hopefully lives in the Atlanta area and has frequented it to let us know if it's a uh, legitimate high-end gentleman's yeah, or, club. Or if someone from Magic City ever listens to this, we're open to sponsorship opportunities. I will happily retract all of my previous statements and compliment you for 60 to 90 seconds. But when, chicken when wings the- on a classy food, right? I'm just hands down here, regardless of the establishment. They're just not... Uh... I don't think so. I don't think the queen regularly has chicken wings. I, well, I guess I would say chicken wings are a bad food to have because you're going to get your hands dirty, but maybe that plays into the gentleman's club thing because, you know, if you can't use your hands, it's a good way to make sure that clientele aren't using their hands by getting dirty chicken wing hands. Yes, because I'm sure the kind of guy who openly gropes and grabs a stripper is going to be put off by the fact that he's got some sauce on his fingers. I think the stripper like, might be more put off, though, by the fact that he's got some <laughs> sauce on his fingers. He's like, normally I would be a total trash bag and grab this girl, but I don't want to smear some sauce on her. Or maybe he's just like, this sauce is so good. No way I'm letting any of this go to waste. I ain't going to lick my fingers clean. <laughs> Oh, then she's, uh, she's gonna okay. and, smell like barbecue sauce the rest of her shift. That could be an upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. So NBA restart going well, right? <laughs> so yes. other other than other than the magic the Magic City situation, the NBA seems to be doing pretty well, right? Yeah, I mean they had a few positive tests early on, but I think since they've everyone's gone through the quarantine period and stuff, I don't think they've had any positive tests inside the bubble. So. They're just living in a self, totally self-sufficient environment, so they should be able to finish the season with no hiccups. It's not like baseball. And how long have they been there so far? I think I think nearly a month. So I guess if people are following the rules, then... Oh, they didn't have a choice. Like, uh, they put them in a hotel room. They deliver their, delivered their food to their door. They couldn't leave their room, I think, for the during their initial quarantine period. So they haven't really given them a choice. They all get tested... I think once or twice a day, every time they move into a new section, they scan this little bracelet they've got on so it records where they went. Hmm. The See, teams... that seems like the right idea, right? The, the MLB yeah. seemed to have just got it wrong, but NBA seemed to have got it by being like over 
it's almost overcautious, I guess, isn't it? But it makes perfect sense. They're playing like what is it, like five to seven games a day? Where uh, in the yeah. I mean the thing is with with a, with an NBA team, it's easier anyway, because the rosters are only like ten to fifteen players. So you're talking about only, you know, a relatively few number of people having to be there. Whereas a baseball team would have significantly more players. A football team is going to be impossible to do that because then you're talking about 53 players, maybe even more, because I think they're going to allow them to have a slightly larger roster. So at some point, it just becomes sort of impossible to, to, to put all those people into a bubble. Yeah, and I, I mean, we, we talked about how the NFL could do it a little better than the NBA, even though they still have to travel because they can basically go the day before to wherever they need to go, go right to the practice facility, practice, get into the hotel, sleep, and then go to the stadium for the game and then play your game, get on your plane, your bus or whatever, and get out of there. You know, it's not like the MLB where they're playing two, three games at the same place. So they're going there, playing their game, then going out to dinner, doing whatever they want, and then coming back. Like there's way too much interaction with how baseball's kind of put this together on my perspective. I mean, I think – I think the NFL can really learn a good lesson and it actually, because baseball is screwing up so much, it makes me hopeful that the NFL can kind of see where they're going wrong and we can have a good NFL season and not have all the issues, which is, I mean, ultimately, as long as they can play games, I don't care if fans are in the stadium or not. I just want to see the games. Oh, there's not going to be fans. No, I know, but well, yeah, we know that, but there still is a good amount of people who really still think that, come January that like playoffs could have fans. And I, I mean, I, I don't see it. Well, the reason why I don't think they would do that anyway is because if you've played the season without that kind of home field advantage to suddenly get to the playoffs and say the chiefs are a home team. And it's like, well, no, no, no. Now suddenly they've got this boost that throughout the regular season you didn't have. That would be the question. It would kind of just be like you had to start with the rules. You had to end with the rules that you started with. So I, I think that's the logic behind even if, they did, even if it were possible to have fans there, I think it would be unfair. Play it safe, right? I mean, why, why kind of risk it four weeks before the end of the season? You might as well say, right, the season's out, no fans, everything's neutral, everything's – I don't know, are they are, – planning on going to like any stadium or are they planning on trying it in like four or five i haven't really kept up on it but i'm assuming they're gonna just go to stadia and do what frank was saying you know in out done move on wait a week next game yeah i mean i don't think all the plans have been finalized because it's still there's so many unknowns at this point but yeah i mean but at least the nba will get it done (laughs) yeah and i mean the, the nfl they have so much money too that i mean at least i know personally being in the giant stadium they have that hotel basically right next to the stadium and i'm sure almost every stadium has that that they can probably just for that two days just buy that entire hotel and not let anyone in or or i mean maybe at this point people have reservations but they can stop at like right now stop that hotel for that day from having any other reservations and just take the top five floors or something like that, you know, to kind of limit it as well and be right next to that stadium. I mean, the NFL can, can do this. Well, they just I, need to I learn also saw, where, where baseball screwed up. I also saw that uh, the NFL has booked for the Super Bowl in Tampa 
they have booked, they have extended their reservations that they have for the hotel for an additional month, I think. And that's not to keep it unoccupied for, for safety reasons. That's so if there's a delay in the season for one reason or another, they're in a position still to have the Super Bowl in Tampa. Wow. That hotel must feel great. So they just have like a free month of booking and have to do nothing. Well, I don't know the terms. <laughs> I don't know. They could be, they could have a cancellation policy there, Frank, I think. Now, maybe they didn't. But, I, mean, I mean, how, anyways, can, how can you have a cancellation enemy. policy, right? I mean, it's kind know. of unfair I, to say like, don't, don't book this hotel for a month. And then two weeks before it start, ah, actually, you know what? We're good. You can, you can start booking again. You're going to lose so much. Yeah. Money. I mean, who, I mean, for the NFL, that will be such a relatively small amount of money anyway that they're not going to care. Um, so you brought it up then about kind of this idea of home field advantage if they suddenly brought it in. I, I'm curious because, you know, not being too knowledgeable on NBA, are, are any teams going to lose out because they don't have home field advantage? Like, does that really matter in basketball? Are there certain teams where they have such like a um, – like? Like kind of Oakland Raiders style following where it's just crazy in the stadium. Like, is, is, is it going to matter? Are some teams going to be like more flat because they're not at home? Yeah, this is actually a great question. This popped up randomly on my thing uh, yesterday on ESPN because I was looking at some of the NHL stuff. NBA and NFL, during the regular season, they have a home field advantage of about 55%. Like 55% of the time the home team wins. When you take that into playoffs, it jumps up to like 60 to like 65%. So there's like a decent increase from regular season to playoffs playing home field advantage. Whereas hockey, that's one of those misleading stats. Because they're the better team. So the better team has home field advantage. I know, I get it. But I'm just saying that there is some sort of home field advantage. And this is a great scenario where we can actually see if that is a misleading stat because now they won't. The best teams won't have the home field advantage, but if they're still the best teams, they should win anyway. And I agree well, with you. I think it give, is misleading. They've tried to give them an element, right? Because they're playing. So basically what happens with the NBA, I don't know if you've seen the NBA set up for the courts, but it's, it's really cool. It's surrounded by screens. And then the home team controls what goes on those screens and controls what uh, noises come out. So they can do like chants from their from their fans and stuff. So there will still be an element of the fact that they'll have an atmosphere that feels like they're playing at home. It's, it's obviously not the same, but will loose, will Lou Simmons have control of that? Yeah, yeah no, when they, when, maybe, maybe when the Lakers are playing listening to bad romance. <laughs> no, I think it'd be more like if it's the NBA finals and, and he, it's Lou Williams, by the way, <laughs> Lou Simmons. <laughs> oh, what did I say? Sorry. Lou Simmons, I think. Oh, Lou Simmons is, is one of the best power lifters in, Ever. <laughs> well, I'll probably also love strip clubs. But um, if Lou Williams is like taking a, you know, it's two, three seconds left and he's got a free throw to tie the game, you just flip all of those screens onto like clips from Magic City just to distract him. Just load a picture of chicken wings, just turn up. That would be the most surreal thing. Um, but yeah, that will be interesting to see. Um, to me, the weird thing is just going to be to see if teams hit in all these kind of short and compressed seasons, will it have an impact? Like it seemed pretty clear that the NBA was probably a three horse race in before the lockdown. Like if anyone other than the Clippers, the Lakers or the Bucks was going to win, it was going to be a huge surprise. 
And it will be interesting to see if maybe this kind of shortened season makes it seem a little bit more like, even though the playoffs are the same layout, it's just a different feel if it kind of turns more into like a March Madness vibe. Has anyone you... benefited from this? Like, was there anyone that was out like long-term injury that all of a sudden can now play? Like, is there a team no. that has specifically done pretty well out of the, what is it, like four-month break? or No team. I don't think there's were, – there were no superstars because the only one who could have maybe benefited from that was the Brooklyn Nets with Kevin Durant because he was out hurt. The Clippers kind of have had injury problems all year, so maybe they're, they just feel fresher. That, that, might be, that might be a benefit. I guess you could maybe even argue for the Lakers with LeBron James as he's getting older. Maybe the fact that he had a nice you know, break before he then gets to go into the playoffs. Maybe he gets to hit the playoffs with a fresh-feeling body, whereas normally he'd be a little bit tired. But then at the same time, some of the teams have been hurt either by players messing up in the quarantine rules. The Lakers had one of their more important players. I say more important players. It wasn't you know, a real, but a, a regular starty, starter in Avery Bradley who decided he didn't want to take the risk. So he opted out of coming back. But, and that's becoming a huge problem in the NFL. Yeah. Where, you know, like several members of the Patriots defense have opted out. Uh, Chung opted out today, right? Yeah. I know that there's this conspiracy theory. I mean, it, it shows the kind of aura surrounding Belichick that this is like Belichick's way of manipulating the cap so that he's going to be able to bring in players that they really need and that the Patriots are going to be better for the fact that players have opted out. But it's going to be interesting to see if that, if, I mean, I think the deadline for that is August 3rd or August 4th or something. NFL players have to opt out before then to get the opt out, the $110,000 or whatever it is. But it'll be interesting to see if, if, if more and more players do decide that it's not worth it. Yeah, I saw uh, Nate Solder, the offensive tackle for the Giants, opted out. And he had a questionable tenure so far with the Giants. And people were just ripping into him on Instagram. And then you find out that the reason he opted out is because his child has cancer. So he's very high risk. And it was like, yeah, you definitely just shot your shot yourself in the foot being the asshole on Instagram right there. <laughs> oh, you, are, are you saying that people on the internet weren't very you, nice? You know what he's saying. <laughs> oh, breaking news. <laughs> no, no, I mean, that's right. To be, aside from the, your child having cancer, I think just knowing how terrible the Giants are going to be this year is reason enough to opt out. He doesn't want to be the reason that Daniel Jones throws 60 picks. <laughs> but it's going to happen regardless. <laughs> yeah. No, Daniel Jones is on a one-man mission. To he saw, he saw Winston last year, and he was like, I can do the 30 picks. I can't do the 30 touchdown passes, but I can do the 30 picks. If I get 60 picks, is it, is it just as impressive? Yeah, am I doubling down? Like... <laughs> I can't wait till he proves everyone wrong. It's going to be so great. And it still won't be worth the pick he was at. <laughs> If Daniel we can Jones get into that another day. <laughs> if Daniel Jones has a like reasonably decent season, I'll have an episode of this podcast where I just mute myself for an entire episode. All right, Daniel. Challenge accepted. <laughs> hope, hope he's a big listener. <laughs> Ready oh, to yeah, prove no, you I wrong. Saw, I, I broke down the uh, analytics from episode one, and and I saw, I saw some guy listening from the 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 Giants facilities, and I knew it was him. 
So, uh, so my, my question for the NBA is what are they, so they're playing like six or eight games, right? To finish think, the I season. That, I believe they're all playing eight regular season games. Every team. But then all those teams aren't making the playoffs then. So some no. are leaving. Yeah. Some are oh, done. How there. shitty would that be? How shitty would that be to be in that bubble for like two months, play six games and be like, all right, you didn't make it. Sorry. Oh, that would suck. <laughs> I mean, you kind of. I mean, know surely the enjoyment it. of being in the NBA and continuing to play would be enough, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess. Or you unless just... you're a shitty player. Yeah. <laughs> unless you're like a mercenary, I guess. <laughs> okay. What about then? If you're one of someone on the staff of one of those teams, you're not making very much money. Like you're like third manager. You know, you have to leave your family and all your friends for two months, sit in this bubble. And then instantly be gone for losing for nothing. I mean, you're assuming that these people don't like people that they work with. <laughs> if you have friends, you've got to go to a, a summer camp for a few weeks. I mean, it's not, you know, I, I think sometimes, like, I'm not implying that it's really easy. And I'm sure for people with families and things, like, it's not been ideal. But, you know, sometimes we're treating it as if they were sent somewhere awful. And they got sent to... Uh, a resort with a golf course and you know like a big lake to go fishing on and dry and ride jet skis you know it's not been you know they weren't sent to some like navy seals boot camp all right then S sam let me ask you would you spend two months with your co-workers in a bubble let me put okay. you on the okay. spot okay okay, okay. No, 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 let, me let me rephrase this sam okay. would you spend two months locked up with a bunch of athletic <laughs> men Okay, okay, let's ignore everything first. Surely in the Both NBA, scenarios. surely, yeah, we'll get to that later. Surely NBA players, team, coaches, managers are used to it because isn't travel just massively part and parcel of the NBA life? Yeah, so yeah, but you usually like wouldn't, you wouldn't. Isn't so, isn't yeah, but you so wouldn't go, different. You wouldn't go four months without seeing your family. No, but I thought, I thought families were allowed in after a certain amount of time, right? They're allowed in at a certain stage in the playoffs, I don't know. I don't know which round it is, but it's basically once there are fewer people there and they've freed up space and the risk is lower, they're going to allow families in. I think they're used to it, right? I, I think this is a pretty traveling scenario. I'd like to say that they're used to it. No, let's I'm say, just, let's say I'm not, even, whether they're used to it or not. I just don't think it's that hard, especially where they are. Like like Eddie said, they're not exactly sat in some sort of like Gitmo Bay kind of scenario like this is terrible like they're sat in a very nice place but also it's not like they're not being looked after either uh, they're like you say meals to the doors they've got yeah. amenities they're actually playing a sport that they love as well it doesn't exactly well, sound maybe. like it's the worst scenario they might love it or they might have just been born seven foot tall and been like you know what this is what i'm gonna do is there someone seven foot tall yeah really <laughs> In yeah. the world, yes. <laughs> no, in the world. In the NBA, I mean, in the yes. NBA, yes. What's the tallest person in the NBA? Seven four, I think. That okay. Wow. What What is the? I can't think. Geez, I can't think of his name right now. He played for uh, USF last year and was drafted. USF, right? Southern Florida. He was a really, really big guy. Don't know. I'm gonna have to look it up now. I'll get back to you, but he was definitely over seven foot, Sam. I mean, there's several players in like seven foot is not, does not make you a, 
a sort of freak by NBA standards. Yeah, Not implying I, that seven foot tall people are freaks <laughs> okay. in places other than the in, in the other than the NBA, but there are you know dozens of players in and around seven foot. I don't think I've seen anyone in my life above six four. That's in that's I, that's impossible. That's impossible. <laughs> I'm, it's not like I'm struggling to think like I remember I've every moment you. of I've my life. With, I've been with you when we've seen people <laughs> over six four. Taco Fall, that's who I was thinking of. Okay, he's, yeah. The guy he's on seven the six. Yeah. Yeah, he's well, seven six. He's the tallest in the NBA. Seven foot six. So what's that like two what just under two and a half meters? Yeah, it's it's basically seven and a half feet. Right, I'm aware. <laughs> like how, the, how giveaway, <laughs> the giveaway was the first metric he used. <laughs> but no, we'll see. Like the game tonight's going to be really good, um, and then it's going to be interesting to watch the playoffs unfold. If the playoffs themselves, I guess, probably won't. If everything kind of goes the way it should, the playoffs probably won't be interesting and really interesting until the Western Conference Finals. I mean, if it's Lakers-Clippers in the Western Conference Finals, that's a really good series. Yeah. So um, I guess we can switch a little bit into hockey, and I'll kind of just give a little bit of what's going on there. I know. Yeah, if you could keep this. Not too exciting. Keep this (laughs) really short. short. In actual fact, if anyone does want to advertise on the podcast, we can just let Frank keep talking, and I'll just just layer (laughs) over an ad. Well, I will say hockey playoffs are fun to watch. Even if you're not a huge fan of hockey, it is super intense. Like the level that they bump up from regular season to playoffs. I mean, they still play hard in the regular season, but playoffs is just, they're, they're just on a mission. It's, it's really fun to watch, I think. So basically what they did, they did similar to what the NBA did, except they're not doing any regular season play-ins. They just took extra teams and expanded the playoff. So they took the top four of each conference and gave them kind of a buy and then took the bottom eight of each and gave them like a round, um, a best of five series to play in, to play into like the real playoffs basically. So this is kind of like a pre playoffs almost. So it's cool because you get teams that were on the bubble that probably weren't going to make it that, that make it now. So you can get some more fans involved, I think. And what's actually really cool is, they did the NHL lottery for the number one draft pick and the number one pick what uh, like, because it's that lottery system of like the percentages, it actually came out that the first pick is going to be one of the teams that loses in that first round. So like you could go and play. And if you lose, you know, you think it's the end of the world, but then out of nowhere, you can get the number one pick, which is pretty nice. Um, So that kind of adds some, some intrigue to it, but I mean, I think it'd be pretty cool. They're doing it in two cities, Toronto and Edmonton, which I think people were thinking about doing it in America. And I don't know why you would choose somewhere in the States when you have a place like Toronto that has like two dozen rinks that they can play at and do their practices and stuff if they wanted to. And the same with Edmonton. Um, so I think that was a smarter choice. Um, well, also yeah, I think not, it, not quite the same. I'm, I'm, level of far more cases in the u.s too so why would you put yourself in a high-risk spot exactly and and they were talking already that like um 
yeah, I think that's way better to do than to, to risk that. Um, so yeah, the, actually the thing that, the reason I had looked up this home field advantage thing that Sam, you were talking about before is do you think, so both Toronto Maple Leafs and Edmonton Oilers are both in the playoffs. So they're playing in their hometown. Do you think that gives them an advantage even without fans that they're in their hometown? Because they're not like the NBA. It's not a, an official bubble bubble. Like they can leave, go to their hotel, go to the rink. They can go to restaurants that are like designated. Do you think just being in your home city, even though the fans can't be there, does that give you an advantage at all? You think? I would say maybe really slightly that the additional level of comfort maybe helps, but then what percentage of the NHL is Canadian anyway? So for what percentage of people playing on other teams, is this basically them going back to where they live in the off season? Yeah. I mean, especially Toronto Edmonton, I would say not so many people outside of people who play in Edmonton or Calgary probably live there, but I would say of strong amount of people live in Toronto or the greater area. So, I mean, why wouldn't you? It's the greatest city in North America, but. <laughs> we'll, pack, we'll park that one. But um, it, like in, in um, soccer, like a kind of European football, uh, it, it sometimes is less to do. It, it, sometimes it's more to do with like the changing room vibe and stuff like that when you're in your home. So I guess when Eddie said about the comfort, if you know your own surroundings, you know exactly, even just down to the detail of like your walk-in in the morning, and stuff like that so but the thing is toronto won't be in the home dressing room every time right so in some strange scenario their routine would maybe like more messed up because they're in a home place but yet they're not the home team so i think routines matter and okay this might sound like the stupidest thing so obviously correct me but i'm i'm very doubtful that things like the temperature of the rink and stuff like that is a thing so I'm guessing it's oh, down no, to comfort. Actually, right? you're wrong there because the rink in Edmonton, they keep the rink at like 115 degrees. You'd think the ice would melt, but somehow it doesn't. So they really crank it up and it's, it, it really gives the home team a huge advantage because they're just used to it. I would say probably not anymore. I would say 20, 30 years ago, people used to say that certain rinks had, you know, like, certain things that were specific to that rink, like a little bump in a certain spot or something like that, that a home team obviously knew about and other teams didn't like, I, I would assume something similar happens in, in football and on the pitch that, you know, not all pitches are absolutely perfect, but well, football, football is a whole different level because there's no fixed dimensions of the pitch. So you can go to one pitch and it's huge and wide yeah, and you go to too. another one, you go to another one. I obviously they have dimension like minimum and maximum dimensions, but there can be a pretty big um, difference between one from one to the other and then how long the grass is changes. And then it's more like Sam touched on too. It's just the conditions like that. They don't have to provide the same dressing rooms for each team. So the away team could be in a very bare basic dressing room and the home team has you know, this luxurious space that they get to be in. And that's, that's kind of one of the big differences too. And they don't get that, right? Because they're not, they're just hosting as opposed to being the home team constantly throughout, I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah. When you're, I, I suppose when you're designated as the road team, you're having to go to what would normally be the, the visiting teams changing rooms. 
I would guess. Yeah, I mean, because that would actually create an unfair advantage if if Toronto could be in their home dressing room all the time because it's obviously going to be bigger and more comfortable, right? So that would create an unfair. So I'm, yeah, I'm sure they definitely do. But yeah, so I mean, it starts. The, the other really neat thing is it starts Saturday. Um, and it's all day of hockey. It's like 9 a.m. For me, at least, it's 9 a.m., 11 a.m., 1 p.m., 3 p.m., 5 p.m., 7, 9. Like, there's five games. I just listed off like seven times, but there's five games. So it's, it'll cover the whole day, which is really Your command of the really clock neat. is fantastic, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> What's that, Eddie? I said we can definitely confirm there is a game at 9 a.m. This much, this yeah. much was, was drilled home into everyone. As long I as think. you're in the same time zone as Frank. Because if you're in a different time zone, there's not, there may not be a game at 9 a.m. There's most likely not, unless you're in my time zone. <laughs> yeah, take your pick. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I won't bother running through all the, the things. I will say I did put in a bet for four teams to win the series, and that was – the Penguins over the Canadians, I think that should be pretty straightforward. The Oilers over the Blackhawks, which is going to be an awesome game. The Oilers obviously have, you know, the two best scorers in the league right now. And then the Blackhawks have two of the older best scorers in Kane and Taze, you know, who used to be kind of what um, what Dreisaitl um, and them were. So I think it's going to be really cool. Uh, and then I took the Rangers over the Hurricanes. Canes and then the Leafs over Columbus, and that gives you about an eight to one. So, I think that's a pretty that's, safe. That's, that's thrilling for for our listeners who haven't fallen asleep during this conversation. That is a tip that they're going to be able to take advantage of, or if well, they only focus on the decimals of gambling. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, exactly. We can try and we can try and add uh, in the description. I'll just I'll just add a little uh, like time time stamp time mark where we can be like just skip these periods. <laughs> think of all the yeah. advertising space we got there oh yeah we're gonna make millions that was like that was like five minutes of, of advertising space available so. we will find the atlanta strip bar and that will be a three minute yeah magic city if you want to sponsor us i will just read out your entire menu and that would have, that would have been more interesting than that nhl discussion <laughs> Brutal. well it's not my fault it's not my fault you don't watch the the best sports to watch ouch Okay. Well, now, but yeah. So, um, what else we got to talk about? FA Cup. Do we want to give that a shout out? Yeah, we can do a quick preview. Obviously, the FA Cup finals on on Saturday. Uh, it's Chelsea Arsenal, which is it's maybe not the final everyone thought it would be going into the semifinals. I think everyone sort of had penciled in City, um, but maybe I, this is arguably more interesting because. It's a more even match on paper. Um, I mean, Chelsea are slight favorites, but both of these teams have had their unpredictable moments in the season. So they've had moments where they've looked great and they've had moments where they've looked pretty pretty average. So difficult one to have a strong opinion on one way or the other. I would, I would say I'd, with a gun to my head, I'd pick Chelsea, but it, I wouldn't feel that happy about it. Yeah, for me, for me, I'm going Arsenal just because I, th I think Chelsea have now got Europe and this is Arsenal's Sam, only... is it because you're an Arsenal supporter? Potentially. But I think 
Arsenal have more to get from this, right? They're not in Europe right now. This is their only route in. But also that matters for things like keeping a Bamiyang. Um, I think it matters for people like Arteta when they're trying to make their mark on things. And I just think it matters more. And also I, I do think that Arsenal are improving under Arteta. I think there's a, a feeling that they can soak up a bit more pressure than they used to. I think there's a feeling that they can counterattack really well. And what they did against Man City was exactly how I think they should play against Chelsea. They should try and soak it up and um, find their opportunities. They won't, When you look back on paper, if Arsenal win this uh, FA Cup, it will, all the stats will be in favour of Chelsea. But I just think Arsenal have more to get from it. So I'm not saying they won't be, <laughs> Chelsea won't be motivated for it. Of course they will, but... Yeah, I'm, no, I like I'm it. Episode, episode one, episode one, you implied that some athletes don't care sometimes. What was it? With some jockeys, sometimes just aren't motivated for races. Now you're implying that sometimes footballers aren't motiva- motivated for major cup finals. Putting words in my mouth, but fine. All right, we're going to go with that logic. But for me, for me, I've got Arsenal probably edging this. Maybe like I'm, I'm going to go like two. I, I, I think Chelsea will score, but I think Arsenal will counter well. What about you? You said Chelsea it, edging oh, it, but he got a score. You got like a, a kind of one nil, kind of bit of a boring game. Are you seeing a good game, but you know, a couple of goals in it. Um, I don't think it's going to be the most exciting match ever. I'm not sort of eagerly anticipating the match itself, but uh, yeah, I'd pick Chelsea if I had to pick a score. I'll go three one Chelsea. Okay, Frank, you got any? Uh, well, I was going to ask, perspectives. Does, does this normally happen before the end of the Premier League? Or is it always after? No, it's, it's, always, it's always just after the end of the season. It is? It's the same, okay. yeah. It might because even be guess, like the weekend after, I think. It would like two weekends after, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Because I guess my question was going to be kind of what Sam addressed is, not that the teams obviously don't care, but which team is this more important for? I mean, because like when you look at, you know, if, if it were city in there, you know, does the city really care about winning this year's FA cup that much, you know, whereas, you know, is there something on the line for another team? And, you know, maybe there is more, I guess, on the line for Arsenal. Yeah. There's a place in, yeah, there's, there is more, but I think fundamentally for both managers, you're talking about two managers in the early stages of their managerial career. So putting an FA cup on their resume from, from a managerial standpoint is huge. And I think for, for Chelsea, what I would almost argue is it's more important for Chelsea in, in a weird way. Because for Arsenal, even if they win the FA Cup, the season is a failure. For Chelsea, if you had gone into this year and said you, get top, you finish in the top four and you win the FA Cup, they probably would have said that's a successful season. In the context of how far behind City and Liverpool we are, that's a success. So... To me, in a, in a weird way, Chelsea have the ability to really make, them, make it a good season and that, that might be slightly more motivating for them. But I don't think that's going to change anything in terms of how dedicated either sets of players are. Yeah. I think Arsenal get the record, right, if they win this? I think they become the most kind of decorated FA Cup finalists, I guess. They've won it the most, but they've also been in the most finals as well. Um, I, I think that matters. I, uh, the last time they won it was against Chelsea, right? And Chelsea were that kind of, um, I remember being at that game, actually, and they were favourites going into it, Chelsea. And Arsenal just played played a better game, I 
think there was like a sending off for Chelsea in like the 70th minute as well, which kind of um, ended it as a contest a bit. But I don't know. I think I wouldn't call Arsenal's season a failure. I, well, yes, it is a failure, but I call it, a, you can rationalise the failure if that makes sense. Like, I think as long as Arsenal realise that, or Arsenal fans, because we've seen how terrible Arsenal TV is, but as long as the fans realise that there's a rationale behind the failure, I think winning the FA Cup would go a long way to plastering up that failure. I think it's probably the way I'd put it. Speaking of Arsenal TV, do you think if we just moronically yelled stuff into our microphones and got angry over everything that this podcast will take off in the same way that they have? Uh, what's the, oh, there was the Arsenal one recently where they gave the, you know, the four of them and they were sat in that really awkward COVID scenario where there's like four chairs and they're two meters apart and they're screaming at this Arsenal goal. And then uh, someone equalizes like 30 seconds later. I can't even remember who. It was in the um, the league. It, it was Spurs maybe actually. It was the Arsenal Spurs game. And Oh um, yeah, when they're just, on, the, on the sort of back pass or, or whatever. Yeah, watching their reactions just defines how bad that Arsenal TV is. And yeah, it's, it's hilarious watching them. Like Arsenal fans are the... Well, it's not even that. It's just that Arsenal TV kind of figured out the the game plan to becoming successful on the internet but which is also why the internet is awful screaming because, a lot yeah you can't have a rational reaction to anything because that's dull so the only way they can be successful is just either they're the best team in the world or they're the worst team in the world either then this player is the next Thierry Henry or he's the next Francis Jeffers there's like no <laughs> there's nothing in between a player can just be sort of decent enough for us and we can do better but at the moment he should play it's been like he should never play for us again they're <laughs> awful sack the manager all that like and if you're not saying that no one listens to you yeah they're very absolutist aren't they in that respect uh, francis jeffers what a fantastic reference the old fox in the box <laughs> terrible signing everything about it was terrible but for me arsenal ledger i think there's more on the line for them We'll see. I'll pull out the, the American card. I'll say Chelsea and Pulisic to score. First, you have to learn how to say his name. That's how I'm saying it. We, you know that how was such I an American. Names. That was such an American like response to that as well. Like, screw you. I'm calling it what I see it. And this is what it is. <laughs> I have quite a unique way to say some professional athlete names. This, this is, that much is true. That will be the truest, truest thing you say all night. So we can get into the Goodwood results. Before we do that, since we're kind of talking in some of the major sports, I'm going to do a little top five for Eddie to see if he can guess these. So this, so this was yesterday, this was announced. It's the top players in the NFL as voted by the players. So these should be the people that have the best judge of who the best player is because they're playing against them, if they play against them. I guess that could be a, a bias if they're picking people that are outside of their conference and they've never actually played. Just yeah, interesting. Think, do they you know. mean at the moment? Like people that are playing at right the moment, now in at the, the moment. roster? Okay. And I think in actual fact, it's not totally clear, but I think it's pro bowlers who vote. It's not the entire league. They have some selection process. They don't, because they do it every okay. year, I think. But it's not the entire league. I don't know what the rule is, but it's not everyone. Okay, so... 
We'll start with number seven, Eddie. Who do you think number seven on the list was? What well, an I just easy gotta... one. What an easy... <laughs> Come yeah, on, Eddie. What's the seventh? <laughs> no, 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 no. So seven's cheating because seven is the only one I know because seven, I believe, is George Kittle. And the only reason I know that is because I follow him on Instagram and he posted about it. And he's the only one I've seen from the list apart from the top 10 because I saw throughout... Because oh, like, they were gradually releasing them. I didn't see the top 10 release. But oh, so let's my question any... before... I... <laughs> My question <laughs> before I have to... Okay, we gave you an easy one to start with. What's the sixth? <laughs> no, no, no. My question before we go on, how angry is this list going to make me? Um, it, that's going to give it away a little. It, it will make you, I think, slightly to very angry. Okay. Yeah, that's a pretty big clue. Okay. Now, do you want me to say, just give me your top five? Or do you want me to say, like, who's number one, do you think? That's a good way try and give it. me the numbers. I'll try and do the numbers, I guess. Okay, let's just start. Who's number one? Well, you've said it's going to make me slightly to very angry, so it's not Mahomes. Because Mahomes, not is, Mahomes. The, Mahomes is the obvious one. I'm assuming... He is, it's he is, a, Mahomes is the correct one. Let's be, yeah. let's be real here. <laughs> no, here's the other issue. I don't know when they voted on it. Because like, they may have voted on it pre-Super Bowl. So if you the, voted on it... If you, you, even maybe they voted on it like mid-season. And in which case... I would say it had to have been... I'm going to say it has to have been at least the end of the regular season. If, if you say Pro Bowl, then that's right before the Super Bowl. Let's go with that. Yeah, Because Lamar Jackson won the MVP, didn't he? So I'm going to say Lamar Jackson because that's going to anger me, but I can also see why they would choose Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is the number one top player in the NFL as voted by the players. I mean, yeah, I don't thoughts? know what to say that. No, thoughts? Come on. Well, I mean, look, he's, 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 he's a good player, but to say he's the number one player, to say he's better than Mahomes, like if, they, if, they did a, if we redrafted the entire league, there's no universe in which Lamar Jackson gets chosen in which LeVar Jackson gets chosen over Mahomes. Just doesn't happen. No way. I agree. Okay. Who is number two? Is it Mahomes? Patrick Mahomes is not the number two best player in the NFL. Um, can is you tell me be, the... Yeah, is this going to be a very annoying one? Is it a quarterback? It is a quarterback. I will say I have I get the feeling that he is like the players champion like players love him. Yeah. So it's pretty easy. Okay. I mean, I'm going to guess if it's not so if it's not Mahomes and it's a quarterback, I'd guess Russell Wilson. Exactly. Yep, Russell Wilson. Not bad. Not better than Mahomes. No. Okay. Who is the number three best player in the NFL as voted by the players? Is it Mahomes? It is not Patrick oh Mahomes. God. Wow. Is it another quarterback? No. Can you tell me the position he plays? I'll, I'll give it away by even saying this. It's defense. Is it Donald? Yeah, Aaron Donald. Which, respectable. If you're going to have a defensive player, you could almost tell one. me. Look, if you told me he that could Donald. Be one. If Donald was number one, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have said that was ridiculous. The fact that you can have anyone playing the quarterback position above Mahomes right now, that like Mahomes had to be the number one quarterback. 
if you wanted to argue that Donald is more like is a is a sort of more dominating player in his position than Mahomes is a quarterback, it's probably a difficult one to argue. But I could at least accept that. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I completely agree. All right, who is the number four top player in the NFL as voted by the players? Is it Mahomes? It is Mahomes. <laughs> oh, Eddie, how'd you get that one? <laughs> well, it's just, you know, just for our, you know, when in doubt, just keep picking the same yeah. thing over and over again, yeah. and sooner or later you're going to be right. That's Patrick how you want mastermind, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, mastermind, I'll just say. <laughs> yeah. Is it Tony Blair? <laughs> Patrick Mahomes is the fourth best player, is an insane, it's just, it, it blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, After watching I, him week in and week out, I mean, it's crazy. I would have disagreed with it um, before the playoffs, but I can get if this was voted on, if this was voted on before the playoffs, and you just made the argument that in the system in which Mahomes plays and with the weapons that he has around him, I could understand not putting him number one. So wait, so that means what you would say is you would take Russell Wilson if you drafted a team over Mahomes? No, I wouldn't. No, no, no. Mahomes would be my number one pick. Any team, any franchise, any system. That's also mildly based on That's also mildly based on age, right? I mean, I think you couldn't take in – in an actual draft, you couldn't take a defensive player. You have to take a quarterback because yeah. the length of their career is one of the longer Oh, we're doing – this is a one-year draft just for oh, next one year. year. Right, I mean, because this is basically what this is saying is it's who's the best player of that year. So let's yeah. just say you're drafting them for one year. Okay, I'd still take Mahomes. You still take Mahomes. Like I don't get. But how I would think harder. Wilson. I'd think harder about it if it's just for one year. It's just it's crazy to me. I mean, I don't know. He he was not happy. I I can't imagine he was happy. You know, and you know what? He looked at his bank account. And he probably didn't give a shit anymore. Well, hey, you know, he also was like, okay, you voted me number four, but this week I became a part owner of the uh, Kansas City Royals. So, and then they bumped up. him down to sixth. Yeah, <laughs> and, then I, and then I took the COVID payout. And <laughs> In fairness, I want to know what percentage of the Royals he owns. Because, like, that's such a good move by the Royals. It's also such a good move in trying to, like, I mean, I know he signed the 10 year deal, but there's opt outs within that, right? So, he's a man of the city. It's such a good way. Like, if I were. You know, like the, the, when LeBron was on the was playing for Cleveland, they should have given him a percentage of the of the Indians, just to, just so it's like this is one more reason why you have to hang around. We've given you zero point zero zero one percent of this team, but now you're a part owner. Yeah. Out of context, we need to um, probably caveat that, right? Yes, no, yes. I meant the Cleveland <laughs> Indians baseball. <laughs> didn't mean I didn't mean a percentage of every Native American casino. Do you mean the Cleveland Indians or the Cleveland baseball team? The soon-to-be Cleveland baseball club. <laughs> All right, to round it out, Eddie, who is the top five player? It is, is not it a, Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> yeah, is it quarter? Is he a quarterback? It is a. Offensive, non-quarterback position. Mm. So we, I know Kittle's seven, so I'm going to assume it's not a tight end because if they put another tight end above Kittle, that's just as bad as not having Mahomes above Lamar Jackson. 
That's a wry smile there. I'm starting to bluff Frank here and say go with the tight end. This is <laughs> no, meant it's to not, slightly it's, annoy you. <laughs> I'm going to say it's not Kelsey. Gonna, it's not Kelsey. Yeah. I'm going to say it's a wide receiver. You so are correct. Then, so then it's down to, I guess, Do in you my get mind, the it's, right one. It's down to two in my mind. It's down to okay, either. I'll, I'll wait. I'll, I'll, I'll preface this by saying in the top 10, there's only two receivers. So if I had to guess who the two receivers in the top 10 were, I would guess, and this is not the order in which I necessarily think they'll appear, but I would guess it's Hill and Thomas. Michael Thomas is, Tyreek Hill is not. Okay, then I'll guess Thomas is fifth. Thomas is fifth. Who's the other receiver in the top 10? DeAndre Hopkins. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I can't knock DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, he's a machine. No. And he's I mean, playing with shit the, quarterbacks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Texans obviously it, don't think so. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> the Texans obviously did not vote for him as a top 10 player in the league. That's all we can say. Yeah. Yep. And then real quick, I just one more. Who was the first running back? It's number six. So who do you think it was? Sadly, it is not. Saquon Barkley. It's not Barkley. Um, Go with Madden. Go with Madden. He's the top-rated Madden running back this year. I can't remember seeing. I'm not in. I'm not in NFL mode in my brain, so this is tough to try and think of because I would. Eddie, I'm rooting for you. Oh, dual threat. Yeah, yeah. It's um, McCaffrey. Yes, my next. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, it should be Barkley, but no. otherwise, it makes sense. You would have even argued to me again if McCaffrey had been number one. I would have been less upset. Yeah, as long as Mahomes was the first QB. Yeah, Mahomes had to be the first QB, but exactly. But yeah, if, if McCaffrey had been number one, I could have accepted that. And you could, you could tell me if, I'm, if I am putting together a team for one year that I maybe consider McCaffrey as my number one pick. It's possible. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. Yeah, so that's all I had for, for the top five. Maybe we make it a segment. Maybe we make it the top Frank's top five of the week. This would be everything in my life I've been shooting for is to have um, my own podcast syndicated top okay. five. All right, we'll do this. We'll do Frank's just, top five. All right, just to let you know, Magic City, this is sponsorship material yeah, as exactly. well. Exactly. Yeah, if, if anyone wants to sponsor this, if in the future we could have Frank's top five brought to you by Magic City, start out maybe... You send us some of the wings to try out. We rank top five, the best wings at Magic City. That's always, that could happen. I've been preparing for this for my entire life. I've been I mean, walking around randomly quizzing people what their top fives in anything is. Wait, the idea right, of Frank, sending give me, wings? Give me, sending wings. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, they'd be delicious by the time they go to Europe. But give me, Frank, give me your top five Rocky movies in order. I am actually not the biggest Rocky fan. But just one to five, yeah, in order chronology. No, no, no definitely. <laughs> it would definitely be one and four 
And then after that, it would kind of just trail off. I mean, I've seen one, I've seen one and I've seen four a good amount of times, but after that, I don't think I've seen two and three very much. And actually, I mean, uh, I, I wait, to, I'm just going to disagree with you there. If you've seen all of the Rockies multiple times, you're a pretty big fan of the Rocky franchise. I know, but I mean, like Rocky one and Rocky four are on TV a lot. I'm you not saying have, I sit down and watch them watch, from start to finish. You don't have to watch it, Frank. I mean, if it's on, you put it on for 20 minutes. Get get to see the the training scene in Rocky that, Four. Do you, okay, so better question here: Do you put on the training scene? Is that what we're saying <laughs> for 20 minutes? Yeah, actually, <laughs> you're right. I just YouTube the training sequence, the montage. It gets me pumped up. That's a good move. Wow, on the spot, top yeah. fives. Okay, that might be a thing now. Yeah, yeah, Frank's top five. We can have that as a regular regular segment um normally i'm so quite intoxicated when i do that so should i start you should start being drunk start? on the podcast yeah, yeah. we should okay. yeah we okay. should do that okay so we'll get and more then we drunk. can have it brought by an alcohol brand that would be pretty perfect maybe pink whitney want to sponsor us and you can if even pink whitney would sponsor us then if it was frank duca's top five sponsored Wait, why is by your last pink name whitney? we're not bringing your last name into this you can't you can't you can't change the name of the segment it's frank's top and five. also i'm sure that oh, you're okay. slurring at the moment so it's not gonna sound as legible as you just made it frank's top five sponsored by pink whitney i can retire after that legible is he he's writing it articulate there we go okay <laughs> <laughs> so he writes it uh, we're gonna out. we're really gonna really change the game we're gonna have a written okay. podcast he's he's that Someone drunk could... he's that drunk that he's holding up a piece of paper to his microphone <laughs> <laughs> uh, no i uh, speaking of which i got a good one for you guys when we move on to like kind of the goodwood reviews and i guess uh so well, i got another little uh kind of elimination one of sorts i, I mean but, should we move on to a good yeah, we can rent. Yeah, I think it's good. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Yeah. Cool. What do you got? What well, we can I start got? with. I mean, inglorious Goodwood, right? Eddie, yeah. Eddie coined such a good phrase earlier, Frank. What happened? Once again, I was screwed by Glorious Goodwood. <laughs> For those who don't know what Glorious Goodwood is, <laughs> that could sound really bad. It's a gay bar in, in Sussex <laughs> in England. <laughs> But yeah, it did not not go as well. Actually, it went exactly as planned. I, yeah, no, I think your statement right you just said it did not not go as planned is one hundred percent accurate. Yep, it the did double not negative not go as is planned. the way the, the double, double negative is, is really is helped. How, how how it should be described. So go on, Frank. Give us the breakdown. What's happened? I had moments. I thought I had some momentum, and then just could never put together a good string. Uh, but I will say a lot of the horses that we did tip, even though, I mean, some of them were favorites, they did come through. Um, and we can kind of go through just a, a few of the quick ones. So like Battleground, yeah, I was run. pretty high on Battleground and I, he looked a very good horse. And yeah. I, I, I think I had said, you know, if it wins, you could potentially see it up at the top of the market for the guineas. And I think it is now, right? I think it's favored for the guineas. So, I mean, the only thing I will say is it's a Warfront cult and the last Warfront cult that had a great two-year career for O'Brien and, and was the favorite for the Giddies was the infamous Air Force Blue. So um, let's hope it doesn't follow in that. Um, Air Force I mean, One, no? Oh, Air Force One. Sorry, not Air Force Blue. Air Force One. Yeah. Is that a, is that a different own. horse, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. Frank kept betting on that one and it never won. It was a really <laughs> that, that even come close in the guineas. <laughs> yeah. All the gambling firms were really confused when he kept screaming at them why they won't lay Air Force Blue. No, no, they would let, they let him do it. They let him do it. It was really sad. Ladbrokes took millions off Frank after he just kept, kept, because they would go in, they get a price and they'd be like, we'll give you a thousand to one. And he was like, this is unbelievable. But what about, uh, speaking of, you know, horses that we spoke about, like Mogul was spoken about. So. Yeah, Mogul did well today, I think. I think there's some jockeys in that race, in particular to Tori, who probably regrets what happened. I think um, Crowley got mm, sort of mild revenge on him by uh, trying to keep him in after Tori had done that to him uh, the day before. But I think English King may well be the best horse in that race, in that race, and that on another day given a slightly different ride, I think it probably would have won, which is strange to say because it never looked comfortable. Dottori had to ride it from some way out. So it's not as if it was a horse that was traveling the best and gotten, but just the fact that it did actually stay and it did pick up towards the end. And in a, what was it, a seven runner field, Dottori still managed to put himself in a position where it was impossible for him to get through. I don't think you could say it was the best horse. I think you could say it could be just as good as the winner. No, by that I don't mean that it was the best horse on the day, but I think long term, if if they all, you know, we can get to the end of this of their careers and say, okay, English King was the best horse in that race. Okay, that's what I mean. I don't from mean from a career that, standpoint. Yeah, from a career standpoint, I don't I don't mean that on that English King looked like the best horse today. It clearly didn't. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. My thing with it was I didn't get why Dottori was so far off when he knew exactly what the other horses were. I mean, they had just raced each other three weeks. He knew uh, Khalifa set what, what it could do. It knew, I mean, Mogul for the most part in the Derby stayed pretty well on with English King. It wasn't like English King blew by Mogul on that last furlong in the Derby. So it has to, he has to know that it's a decent horse similar to what he's, what he's riding. So I don't know why he was content with sitting. I don't think he had a choice. Seven, seven lengths I don't think he had a choice. I don't think he had a choice. I think he could have came closer. No, because no, no, no. Cause the horse was never comfortable. So to ask it to try and to try and settle it while you're also trying to close a gap, I don't think he's going to be able to do that. So I don't, I, I, you know, like we talked about immediately after the race, I don't, I don't have an issue with the fact that he was off the pace. And I also think the other thing that might've encouraged him to stay a little bit back was that the horse traveling the best throughout the race was Alassi. And it was just the fact that it did not pick up and clearly did not stay that distance. But with, you know, three furlongs to go, it was absolutely cruising. So there is a world in which if you're Dottori and you're on board and you're kind of looking around and you're seeing a few horses starting to be ridden, you've already got to work on English King and you see this horse cruising up next to you. There might be that other thought where you think this is the this is the horse I'm really racing against. So being next to it at this stage is not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think if he were just if he could have gotten up there earlier, I think he would have. I mean, I guess the unfortunate thing is if you are in the back like that, nine times out of ten, at least you'll get a clear run on the outside, and he gets really screwed by being behind the main pack and also being blocked in the entire time. So 
you know, I guess that's just a, a little bit unlucky, but it, it wasn't his best ride by any means. Uh, and it, to me, I think you might be right. I think English King could be the best horse or Mogul could be exactly what Aiden O'Brien thought he was and he could be the next superstar. But yeah, yeah. I mean, Mogul, 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 Mogul in some ways was kind of, was becoming a little bit of a forgotten horse. I mean, I know it was, you know, high in the betting in the Derby and stuff, but it was kind of following that path that O'Brien horses have sometimes where they, they're in three or four group ones in a row at relatively short odds. They never deliver. And then they're sort of retired to Ireland to appear in races at, you know, random tracks for group twos and group threes as sort of a O'Brien second string in a halfway decent contest. So I, I am at least mogul winning today prevents it from falling into that category, but I'm not going to suddenly believe that Mogul is the superstar it was touted to be a few months ago. Speaking of O'Brien horses, uh, Santiago Stradvarius. What's the, uh, what's the thoughts on that one? Another race where Dottori somehow managed to get himself in a ton of trouble. I mean, I don't know how uh, in a race of that distance in such a small field, you nearly managed to blow it by just getting yourself trapped in and stuck. And he's lucky that he was on by far the best horse because Stradivarius absolutely dug the Tory out of a hole on that one. Yeah. It, it was a great race and it was made, it was made to be a great race by such a poor ride by the Tory um, made it a thrilling race at the end. I mean, Stradivarius is, by far the best horse. The only thing I will say about Santiago is two furlongs out, it looked like it was the best horse. It was traveling really, really well. And I did not think, I, th- I thought it was going to win. And then when Moore asked it to go, it just didn't have that extra gear that Stradivarius does. Like when, when Dottori asked Stradivarius to go, that horse flies. And Santiago was sitting well, sitting well, and then Moore asked it to go, and it kind of just stalled a little bit. And maybe over time, it'll get a little faster like that once it runs more races at this distance. I mean, it's a three-year-old horse running up in, up in trip a decent amount, so maybe it just needs to get used to it a little bit. But it didn't have that kick that Stradivarius clearly does, which makes it an awesome, awesome horse to watch. Well, also, Stradivarius is, you know... Horses like Stradivarius don't come around very often. So it's not a knock on Santiago to say it's not in the same class as, as Stradivarius. It never will be. No, you're right. Because you're, you're not, right. not going to have a new Stradivarius every other year. It just doesn't happen. But, you know, I will say episode one, when we talked about this race, kind of, you know, one of the things that I said was Stradivarius is a horse that knows it's racing and digs deep when it needs to. And that was an example of a horse that, when it it knew in a sense what was going on and it wanted to get to the front and it wasn't going to be denied. And, and Dottori was lucky because he really made a mess of it. And if he'd just given it a slightly better ride, it wouldn't have demolished the field, obviously in the way that it did at Ascot, but you would have looked at what would have been a pretty comfortable victory probably. And now confirmed dark trial. If, uh, if I heard you right after our previous conversations, so yeah, we're yeah, they said after, with Stradivarius. Yep, they said after the race, Stradivarius will go to the Ark. So that's, you know, one more horse. And, and I think it was cut to 14 or 16 to 1 
in the arc betting, which is bizarre to me because we've already seen it race over the arc distance once this season. Admittedly, it was a race in which it was still finding fitness, but it looked awful. It was beaten by Miles. And when DeTori got off it after that, he said, this is not a group one horse over one, one, and a, one mile four. So I don't, I get why they're sticking it in because obviously the owner has always wanted to have an arc horse and this is his chance. So I, if I were him, I'd do exactly the same thing. It's going to be the final race of its career. It's won everything it can do at that distance. Just to have, I mean, I guess it's not going to be the arc you would have hoped as an owner because maybe you'll be there, maybe you won't. It won't, it certainly won't be the same kind of atmosphere, but just to have the excitement of having a horse in the arc. I, just, I, 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 I 100% get why they're doing it, but it would amaze me if it won. It would even amaze me if it was sort of involved in the finish. It would surprise me. I mean, that that arc the more you look at it and even when they're kind of cutting and stuff like that like even even fancy blue who won um 14 serpentine derby winner 12s and then on top of that you've got stradvarius gaius love enable i mean we're we're set up for something pretty special there aren't we yeah i mean donico o'brien after fancy blue won today he seemed to imply that fancy blue would be going to the arc weekend but probably wouldn't be racing in the arc so I think we'll see Fancy Blue on Arc Weekend, but based off of what he said, it seems like it will probably give the Arc a miss. And Japan's been cut as well. So I know that you're kind of tipping that horse, but Japan's been cut into 16s. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just mind-boggling. <laughs> Eddie, who, who gets a better chance, Japan or Stradivarius? Oh, I'd rather I'd rather believe in Stradivarius. I'd rather yeah. believe that a a fully fit Stradivarius now um, can can win. I also, I guess, the interesting thing, the thing that's just, I don't know what tactic you should use if you're Stradivarius. I don't know if you know that you've got the stamina, obviously. So, do you go a quicker pace in the hope that horses that maybe don't have the same stamina, but if your cruising speed isn't isn't at that speed, you might not be helping yourself anyway. And also you have to factor in that Gaieth will be, probably be in the arc. So you know that there's going to be a horse that goes five, six lengths Runner. clear. Yeah. So, well, I mean, that's... So, so I guess my only thing is when you talk about the race that it did run against Gaieth, right? Was that one against Gaieth this year? Yeah, that's when yeah. Gaieth won by sort of you know, we, 10 lengths or we just joked on Sam about how not all jockeys want to win races. I'm not saying Dettori obviously didn't want to win that race, but I think if he had a fit Stradivarius, he runs that race differently to try and do something to put him in a position to win versus I'm just going to kind of sit in a pack, run a race, get this horse fit and see what it can do. Maybe. I think my bigger, looking at it, I think the, if I were going into it and I'm Gosden, I think I would set Stradivarius as the horse to stay with Gaieth in the sense that you don't let it just dominate proceedings and have the race its own way. Because as we've seen this year, when that happens, it tends to win. Yeah. And when it doesn't happen, it doesn't win. And I would kind of be using Stradivarius tactically to set up a navel. I think if 
if you have the ability to do that, that's not that's not dumb. But I mean, Stradivarius could win from that position too. Yeah, I mean, what a, that's what a strange scenario that. where you've got Stradivarius like almost front running, I guess, for another horse. You know, a horse that's so good, Gold Cup winner, and you've got a front running for someone else. It's crazy. Yep. Yeah. No, and it's an interesting one because if Stradivarius, obviously Stradivarius is his horse and at times is kind of, there's doubts as to exactly how good it is because it's racing over a distance where there's not top quality opposition most of the time. If it were then to win the arc, it suddenly throws itself into a conversation as being one of the greatest horses of all time. Yeah, it's, it's RP rating or just fly through the So, so it's, it's a bizarre situation where you could kind of go from this, yes, it's, it's, it's an excellent horse, but it's maybe been not racing at the time when it has the most challengers to suddenly, wow, it's, it's in a real class of its own. What if, what if serpentine races and wins? Do we, uh, we're going from maiden to Derby to arc winner. I mean, <laughs> what, what are we doing with that? If serpentine races and wins, it makes the Derby look less laughable, but fundamentally to me, the issue with the Derby wasn't even just that serpentine won. It was the way the other jockeys in the race didn't really figure out that they were in a bad spot until it was too late. Yeah, That, to me, and is the bigger issue. I don't think that can even happen in the arc because you have a horse like Gaieth who will say, you know what, Serpentine, you want to go out? Go ahead, I'll go with you, and I'll smoke you the last three furlongs. Yes, yeah, 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 exactly. And I think I, I, think I looked at the Derby time splits. So I no, Eddie, at, definitely. I looked at um, the Derby time splits, and Serpentine didn't actually do anything remarkable. The time splits looked exactly normal uh, going around the corner for a usual Derby winner. It, it, like Eddie mentioned, I think it was just the fact that jockeys behind him didn't realize what was going on and they expected him to pull back. But as far as the time splits concerned for Serpentine, he ran a perfectly normal Derby for a winner. So it just seems that everyone else didn't anticipate it. They were always, maybe they were watching another horse too much. Yeah, it was kind of an interesting yeah. stat I saw. And speaking of uh, times, just as a, another one of my amazing segues. Oh, okay. <laughs> tomorrow is the turn of Batash. I guess arguably the, the fastest thing on turf. Hate it. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, one, it's one to three, so you're not, exactly, you're not exactly getting value there. Although I could guess it's, it's like the thing I like to say, it's not like you could go to a bank and get uh, 33% interest, 33% returns in the, you know, seconds that it takes Batash to win that race. But, but you also temper- can't go to a bank and have the teller say, yeah, you know what, today I don't feel like giving you money. I'm just going to turn and walk away. Oh, <laughs> Which is obviously Batash. 2008 <laughs> recession, maybe. Bank, yeah, <laughs> you, you, don't, do. you, obviously don't, you obviously don't bank at the same bank as I do. That's absolutely right. true. But, um, but no, I think... Yeah. The other question with Batash too, you just always have that lingering doubt because it's such a temperamental animal that tomorrow it turns up and it just doesn't want to do it. And it's a little off color. And all of a sudden you don't have the Batash that demolishes fields. You have the Batash that cruises and then doesn't really pick up. So do you think one to three is... Uh, it's terrible to say, do you think it's value? But on that basis, is there something worth 
backing against so late on? Because I guess we're looking at show prices. Everyone gets the same price at that point. But is it worth like a day before going, Batash is what it is, so there's value here. And even if you lose your money, I mean, are you still getting like value on something early on that isn't I mean, Batash? It's, yeah, it's hard to say that there's value in anything at one to three. And if you always bet on horses at one to three, you'll lose money. So it's hard to say, wow, that's value. It does have to be said. I mean, it, it's shortening all the time. So it might go off one to four tomorrow. You know, it, it was sort of, you know, one to two earlier in the week. You're, I don't think it's, I think the f- price is fair. I don't think there's value there, but the price is fair and it, it probably will win in the way that a one to three horse should. But I wouldn't be put off. I wouldn't say, oh, I would never back Potash at one to three, but I, I don't think it's... Um, Oh, I've emptied the bank. Oh, your bank let you take money out? Yeah. When I told them that I was betting on Batash, they let me take uh-huh. it out. And they, they said, said, don't, we'll, we'll, you'll have, don't you'll worry, be, we'll you'll see 30%, 30% of this. <laughs> yeah. We'll be, you'll be putting 33% of that back in in a few minutes. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's one of my all-time favorite horses. And, even, and that's including the fact that it has absolutely gutted me twice at Royal Ascot. And it's still one of my favorite horses. Just because I love to see just how fast it is. It's, it's awesome to see. Having yeah, said no, that, I heard, I, I heard an interesting thing. That last year when it raced in this race, there's speculation that Crowley kind of took it easy on him it still won but it didn't it didn't win much because the nunthorpe comes up and they wanted it to be in prime like ready to go for the nunthorpe so they didn't set it off all the way and basically what this person was saying was i would not bet the batash to win by a good amount of lengths because if anything if crowley knows he's got it in it and he's going to win he'll do enough to win to save it for the nunthorpe which is obviously the much bigger race for him and the much more competitive race. So that was, I thought was a really interesting take. I've never really heard of a jockey, uh, maybe in handicaps, obviously, but in a, in a group race to like take it easy on a horse to just win, to prepare for the next group race. That's, you gotta be a pretty confident jockey on a pretty amazing horse to Batash set the, um, it's even more impressive at the fact that Batash last year set the course record for five furlong. Yeah. So the fact is that he, the Batash didn't, you know, wasn't, get pushed as hard as it could do, and it still set a course yeah. record at Goodwood for five furlong. Crazy. So that's impressive. So speaking so of which, Sam, I guess you missed the only race you missed, um, or did you see the Sussex Stakes? And what did you think of that? Didn't see it. Sadly, employment didn't see changed. The race of the year. Didn't sadly, see the race of the year. Sadly, employment prevented it. But you know what? I'm going to leave it to you two gamblerholics to tell me about it. <laughs> it's not even. It's not even about gambling. It was just a great race going into it. It was a great race on paper, and then it kind of delivered in the sense. Yeah. I mean, two. You had two horses, like continuing the theme of talking about horses having trouble in running. You had two horses that had an absolute nightmare, and and yet one of them still managed to win. So, I mean, you had, I mean, I know that after the race, uh, Murphy was just so depressed in talking about Cameco, 
and how he felt that it was undoubtedly the best horse in the race that had it not been for the trouble in running, it would have won. I mean, he looked not to make light of it, but he looked almost suicidal. He was really struggling to talk about it. So, um, but I, th- to me personally, I think the best horse won. I think the turn of speed that Mohather has is unbelievable because it, it almost had to stop at one point in the race and then kind of move out and then pick up again. And the fact that as soon as Crowley pushed go, it just flew, but it was a great race. And I'm sure we'll get to see, I mean, that's the interesting thing. You have so many good milers that, you know, now that almost every big race coming up over one, you know, kind of in and around the mile distance, you're going to have some unbelievable showdowns. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a believer. I, I was a little hesitant, you know, I mean, had one amazing race this year, the other one, I guess maybe it did lose its shoe and not get to full potential. And it was kind of locked in as well. But that was very impressive how quickly it picked up. I mean, I mean, it was impressive, too, on Crowley's part to kind of move four horses over in half a standstill and then just hit the outside, and that horse just took off. And I know, I mean, my pick was Circus Maximus, and I can't at all be mad on more on that ride because he did exactly, I think, what he should have done, kept it in the front and waited to see if anyone challenged and hoped that Maximus just dug down and kind of could gut it out, which kind of what is what that horse seems to do almost in every race. And it, it did. I mean, Siskin came up next to it and I thought Siskin was going to pass it pretty easily and he held off Siskin, but yet, you know, Mahathir was just there on outside of Siskin and blew right by. So, I mean, a, a good, a very good race. And it's a good, I think, indicator of how good Mahathir is because Circus Maximus is, is a very good miler. Siskin I mean, obviously, super highly regarded and, and was right there as well. Let's, and let's call Circus still. Maximus good. Let's not go very good. Well, I think he's very good. I think Circus Maximus is a consistent performer, and you can just copy and paste what it does, and you know every time you stick it in a race, it's going to do exactly what it does, but it's not exceptional. Same second, right? No, I didn't. Well, very good isn't an exceptional. If someone said you're very no, we're good, gonna looking, run out of ad- we're going to run out of ways. To, but we're going to run out of ways to describe them because if we set the bar for very good at Circus Maximus, then then the next step up, you know, like because I think Circus Maximus is probably the at best the third best horse in that race. So, um, I mean, the real yeah. loser from that race in a way was Siskin, because Siskin's. Along Siskin can't like. There's no complaints about the position. No, it had, had a good it had, ride. It had every chance to win that race, and the fact that it didn't clearly means that you, you know, it's and that and like it's a good enough horse that it it may beat some of them next time out. That's totally believable. But on the on the on the face of that, it's you know having been favorite uh, at, at the off, it's never going to be close to being favorite again if a similar field like that if it was a, you know, you know, a race with a similar field. Yeah. I mean, maybe the only thing you could justify was it's the first time it's traveled outside of Ireland. So it's not used to it right now. You know, maybe next time it, it travels, it'll get, be a little more comfortable. Maybe it was uncomfortable. I don't know if it was, but you, well, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, so, that so was it, it. I mean, that's the blemish it had on its record right before is that it went to new market and, and, had, to be and had troubles in the stalls, but then that the new stalls they have for the, to deal with, I think it's purely because of the pandemic make it more suitable for it, but we'll see. We'll see. So where next for the mall? Would it be, um, 
was it the international stakes at York or something like that? Like where do well, all these one miners go next? Yeah, I think afterwards they they implied that Mohatha will be heading for the Arc weekend because there's that good can't remember which race it is, but there's the good race over a mile on the on the Sunday. So I think likely you'll see Mohatha there. Um That's which fan. guarantees I'm, imagine interest these in horses these horses you're going to see Mohathir, Fancy Blue, Batash usually shows up for that. Batash will be there, like, I would imagine, for that, for that, this that final almost four furlong for, race that they yeah, have. Yeah, for the final race of its career, I guess Batash will be there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and and almost, almost every race will have a notable yeah. uh, horse in it. Because then be even you've race. got um, Champions, uh, what is it, Champions Day at Ascot, you know, where you've got those kind of uh, all the group races in that one day. And I'm certain there's a miler there. I can't even remember its name, but it's probably some something famous. But Yeah, I mean, the issue with that is Champions Day is so close to uh, to uh, the arc. that some, It's September, like, isn't it? It's like mid-September. Turning a horse out for, for both of them is, is, is often difficult. But, but no, and I mean, you have to assume, I don't know if Pinatubo is staying in France. But you'd have to assume that Pinatubo is probably being prepared for that same mile race on Arc Day. So even if it's just the two of them, that's another interesting clash. Because you could kind of, in a way, Pinatubo is going to be the forgotten horse over that distance for a little bit. Because all the talk is now going to be about Mohather and then Kamiko. And meanwhile, you have, you know, Pinatubo had one of the greatest two-year-old seasons last year. Had the sort of blemish on its record at the start of the year. But you know, one again in France and, and maybe is getting back to its form, in which case, you know, it might, it might return and show them, really show them what it's capable of. So, right. I got saying for you guys, you, we spoke on the last uh, uh, podcast about good word is a little bit of a different one to other courses, a little bit different. Uh, people treat it differently. Um, it's got, you know, a really tight turn in. It can kind of change things quite quickly. So I took a look at the top 10 trainers. Just curious, just to see like who does well, who gets a good profit and loss. Found out that only one of the top 10 trainers there has a plus, a positive plus or minus on their profit and loss. Curious if you can find them and I will tell you, so this is the last, so the stat is the last three years of Goodwood top trainers. So this is from today. So I guess you wouldn't, let's, I doubt it changes that much, but let's just say it doesn't include today's racing. Last three years, Goodwood top trainers and you can shout them out. I'll tell you their stats. I'll tell you their prize money, everything, but only one well, should, of them. Should we take a, a guess? Why don't we wait, start wait. by, we take a guess on who we think the top trainer is. Okay. And, and should I tell you just, the stats behind him? Or? Have, but can I just ask, is the top trainer, is he sort of a well-known trainer or is it someone obscure who's raced a few horses is, is, at 50 to 1? No, no, no. Is there a minimum Okay, I'll tell you what. So out of the top 10 trainers, the minimum someone has had runners is 52. Okay. So they're all so, relatively big trainers. Okay. Exactly, exactly. My right, so guess, let's see if we let's see if we can get the top five. I'm, no, no, my, I want to guess number one. I want to go straight too. to number one. Wait, 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 wait. What are we doing with number one here? How's the what's the metric? Are we doing by prize money? Are we doing by profit? No, I thought loss? It was, I thought I thought you're doing it profit loss. I thought I'm doing profit loss. And like I said, there's only one with a. You would have made money profit, on his runners at every one. horse. Yep. Okay. I have who I think my guess is, and it might be miles off, but I'm I'm trying to be. A I have great. it too. 
You've got yours? Okay, let's do Frank. All right, I'm going to say Mark Johnson. Incorrect. Okay. I'm going to say Roger Varian. Incorrect, and not in the top 10. Wow. I was trying so to be a little go, creative. All right, Mark, I'll go. Shall I tell okay, you Mark Johnson? Because you can... No, no. Can we, keep trying, can we keep trying? Can we? Can we keep okay. trying to get the All number right. one? We'll, we'll keep doing a blitz. Okay, let's do this. Okay, I'll go William Haggis. No, but he is in the top ten. I'll go Gosden. No, uh, no, but he is in the top ten. <laughs> You're going to say every person, <laughs> and then we're going to get um, to. The <laughs> um. Okay. Let me go. I don't think he's even been training horses for three years. I was going to go, oh, it's 50 races though. You're going to go for one of the I was gonna go. No, I was going to go like real obscure, like Richard Hughes. No. Damn it. I'll go Charlie Appleby. It's, a good, it's, a, it's good, but it's not right. But he is in the top. Um, he is in the top 10. All right, Frank's All right I'll say, I'll say Ed O'Brien. No, no. And to be to be fair, funnily enough, he's not in the top ten. It's not that funny. It's, it's obvious. Good, it's Goodwood, right? So, shall I start giving you? Like, no, I'll no. I've still, hey, I've still got one guess left. So, but, uh, all, right, all right, all right, okay, okay, let's do that. I'll go Clive Cox. No, and again, not there. All right, one more guess each, and see if we can get it. Okay. Oh, I, I got one. Richard Hannon. Uh, no, but is in the top. Oh, and my final guess, I'll go Andrew Balding. <laughs> no, but he is in the top 10. No. Ad, oddly enough, as a stat. How and, riveting um, was this to listen to? Yeah. Two guys guessing. The- <laughs> Why didn't we call the podcast that? As a stat, Balding has the worst profit and loss of them all. He is minus 64.75. Nice. That's impressive, right? 131 runners, 15 winners. Consistent. So Mark Johnson, 205 runners, 32 wins, and still has a profit loss of minus 43 pounds. So the only one with a positive of 19 pounds is Ralph Beckett. Oh, that's my many, next how guess. Many, how many runners is he? 70 runners, 12 winners, 19 places. Strike rate of 17%. You want to know someone that's super close? That who, has the highest, who has the highest strike rate of the top 10? Or, or most wins, either no, one. No, no, actually, no. actually, fairly, fairly um, by about 3% is Charlie Appleby. Three, uh, 23% strike rate. So who has the most the, wins? Who has the most wins? Mark Johnson. Mark Johnson's had 205 runners. That's just because Mark Johnson has at least, uh, as a horse, in basically every race a good one. So do you want to know the other one that's super close? He always wins. Well, yeah, you know why Mark Johnson always wins? You have to admire him because he's a trainer who's just like embraced the tactics that he just has front runners almost. He's like, I'm Mark Johnson. Just every horse I have, just send it to the front, let it go. So there's one with a minus 93p. That's Willie Haggis. Oh. That was my first guess, guess, wasn't it? Yeah. So good strike race. So Gosden, 20, 20.5. Uh, Haggis, 20. But I just found it interesting when I looked at like who does well at what is considered kind of an erratic race course that actually yeah, I mean, out of the top 10, no one does in, seemingly that well. Here's the thing is, I suppose in, in terms of profit loss, I, I, it makes sense that Gosden has a pretty high strike rate. 
but the thing that will kill him is over the last few years, favorites. he'll have had quite a few yeah. short price favorites. So Stradivarius winning is not helping his profit loss really. Batash winning prize is, money though, right? Not, yeah, no, I mean, he, I, I don't think he's upset. Yeah, he's uh, so Gosden is sat on 1.9, uh, just under 2 mil prize money. Next one to him is Johnson at 902K. So let's be honest, Gosden's coming home happier rather than that minus 18 pound profit loss. But you know what? Uh, I just thought, I thought wrong, it was though, interesting. Because, you're wrong stats, though, because right? Gosden's just been reinvesting all of that into betting on himself and it has been terrible. <laughs> and he's terrible. Two, million, two million pounds in prize money. 20 million pounds down in betting on his own horse is a good one. <laughs> what an absolute nightmare that course is, right? But no, interesting stat, I thought. Anyway, when you look Plus, at you'd also have to argue that probably what that means is with a sensible betting pattern on Gosden, because you said his strike rate's 20%. It's just that, over 20%, yeah. Is that in a sense with adjusting your stake based on which of his horses you're backing, you could probably have been close to profitable pretty easily. Because obviously you would have put a much bigger stake on Stradivarius or Batash than you would have put on, you know, whichever one of his, on a horse that he has racing at 16 to one in another race. And you could also avoid times where he might have two. So, you know, if he's got two, if there are two Galston horses and one of them's Batash, you don't bet on the other one. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't know if you want to call this a final thought, but which jockey profit loss wise, would you really not want to back at Goodwood? <laughs> Oh, it's it's got to be Ryan Moore. It's Ryan Moore. Yeah, that, that makes you, perfect you sense. Avoid him. He's 104 runners, and he'll give you a profit loss of minus 49 quid. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, most winners, by the way, last three years as is, is a Murphy. So. Except Cameco. There we go. Most prize money, Jim Crowley. Also makes, makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, bit of fun, bit of trivia, right? You can sponsor that one as well, listeners. Yeah, everyone, that's Sam's Corner. Um, yeah. If you want to sponsor Sam's Corner, just email us. You can email us at thebigchillpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Any sponsorship requests, we'll, we'll literally let anything sponsor us. Magic City through to Isaac Murphy. Don't care. <laughs> You're on the podcast. Exactly. And on right. that note, should we wrap done? it up? Yeah. Make sure to uh, follow us on Apple Podcasts. Please rate and review us. Leave us some feedback. And uh, follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. And we will be on Spotify in three episodes' time. Tell your friends. If we make it. If we make it. But here's the thing is, maybe two of us will make it and one of us won't. Which one will it be? You have to listen to find out. Stay (laughs) cheap. If we make it. Yeah, if we make it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, talk to you guys later. Yeah. Cheers. See you. Bye.